Hey, Junior here. Thanks for hitting play. How do you do a temptation? Nah, you don't want to talk about it, do you? Well, we're going to talk about it. Stay tuned. Well, I hope you don't lose respect for me, but I love a good alien movie. I'm not big into like, like the whole sci-fi scene at all, but aliens, Stranger Things especially, like I don't know if you've seen Stranger Things at all. It's, it's just, it's fun. And the plot to like a Stranger Things movie or, or like an alien movie, it's always the same, isn't it? Like at first things are fine, you know? The stranger kids are riding their banana seat bikes around their neighborhood and they feel safe. But then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, something appears. And then the fight begins. And the humans always lose at first. Like more people die in the beginning of the movie because they have no idea what they're fighting. Like our bullets are no match for, for alien weapons. It's not killing them. Who, who are we up against? We don't know. And so the whole movie is about them learning the enemy and so that they can you know, defeat it. They can't win until they know what they're fighting. I wonder if that is your life. Like some of us are really struggling with that thing. And by that thing, something just came to mind, didn't That temptation. We keep losing. We keep going back to that person, or we keep going back to that website. We keep going back to that substance, that food, that mindset. We keep losing our temper. We keep being critical. We keep gossiping. We keep getting beat because, and we've never really thought about it this way, we don't really know what we're up against. All we know is that there's just this strong draw, a draw to that thing or that, that person or that high or that buzz or that release or blowing up. I just can't help it. We can't beat this. And so some of us walked in here or signed on feeling like a sad alien movie. There's just been too many casualties, too many blow-ups, too many losses. And so we've decided, let's just try to live with the alien can't beat it. So let's just try to live with it and, and try not to let it get out of hand. You know, let's try to like live with the sin, just kind of manage it and, and hide it and hope it doesn't get out of control. But what a miserable way to live. Today, Jesus says, I think it's time we uncloak the beast and fight different. Matthew chapter four is where we're at. Matthew chapter four, really encourage you to grab a Bible. We've got Bibles in the chairs. It's page 809 in those Bibles. We also have notes in the bulletin. Uh, we have notes on our app, and you can sign on there. Matthew chapter 4 is where we'll be. And we're going to really just go through this slowly. So I really encourage you to grab a Bible because we're going to take this sometimes word by word. Let me pray. We'll jump right in. Father, I thank you so much for your word. Uh, may you remind us just how uh, heavy of a moment this is as, as the family of God open up the, the word of God. That this is. Your word written to us from our creator. What an awesome thing. And so God, may you really focus this in this time. This is one of the more, most important times of the week, if not the most important time of the week, as we gather together with brothers and sisters in Christ and open up your word. So may you eliminate all distractions and focus us in on, on you and what you have to say. You will speak. I ask that we listen. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we enter into Matthew chapter four, the Jordan River 
weaves its way through the arid land, creating this little green vein connecting northern Israel to southern Israel. It's a common place of gathering, especially in the first century. Kids run here to cool off in the middle of the day. Women wash the dishes here, wash the clothes here. It's just this, this beautiful oasis. But more than that, there's this energy here, especially today. See, moments ago, a local homeless-looking preacher just baptized an up-and-coming rabbi. And it wasn't long after that, the sky split open, an audible voice spoke from heaven. Was that the voice of God? The sky returns back to normal and sparse clouds float above. The, the river trickles past the stony banks and the, the crowds dispersed, trying to make sense of this momentous occasion that they just witnessed. Jesus stands on, on the side soaking wet. He throws an outer cloak over him and he sits down and he just stares at the running water making its way into the Dead Sea. It went from a loud crowd to rather quiet very quickly. And Jesus sits in his own thoughts. See, for the next 40 days, this is the last bit of beauty that he'll see. It's right here. The water dripping off his beard will be the last bit of water that he'll have for some time. His eyes scan the barren, desolate landscape on the horizon. Part of him just wants to stay here near the water, near life, near beauty, near the sound of the river. But he knows that he must walk into that wasteland. A beast, if you will, lies in that hellish area. And Jesus sets off and we trace his footsteps. Verse one of Matthew chapter four, it says, then, now we'll just stop right there. That's why I said you should have your Bible in front of you because we're just he's like, sometimes word by word. He says, then, then, and that's actually very important. It's a, then is a, a, a conjunction. It's, it's tying in what just happened at the end of chapter three, the baptism, versus what's about to happen. In fact, Luke, uh, another gospel writer, when he writes this account, he uses the word and. So two conjunctions, and they're connecting these two, the, the baptism of Jesus and the temptation of Jesus, they're connecting these two events. Fascinating con connection here. Jesus goes from baptism, big moment, God audibly speaks. A big moment, high energy, high emotions, and now we're going down. Why is this worth pointing out? Why the conjunction here? Because this is when temptation likes to strike. It's right after a big win. It's right after a big event. It's right after you cross the finish line. This is when the enemy likes to show up. Uh, inner office affairs have been known to happen right after a team or a staff celebrate a big win or a big sale. Just finish something big, and that's often when it happens. Relapses often happen or are known to happen after a milestone of sobriety. The big moment, I have to hit this milestone of sobriety, and now the low and temptation appears. It's, it's the vulnerable time. This is why the writers, Matthew, as well as Luke, point out the conjunction, it's then, or and, they're tying these two together because it's a vulnerable time. You have a vulnerable time during your week. When is that for you? I'll be candid, for me, it's often Sunday afternoon. I just finished preaching the, the weekend services, had lots of lobby conversations. I'm more of an introvert, so I'm spent, I'm tired, I'm a little on edge, I need a recharge, I'm vulnerable in that moment. 
We all have that time in our week. When is it for you? Maybe after you just finished work, Friday evening, big stressful week. That's when the craving stirs. You get a little grouchy. You just cross the finish line. You're just beat. You could use a release or you could use an escape. You're just easily set off. Or if you're a a mom of little kids or dad of little kids, it's just right after you put the little monsters to bed and they've run you ragged and you're fed up and you're tired and you feel unappreciated. It's when you're weak or it's right after a big exam that you've been studying for or it's right after that big meeting that you've been dreading. That's the vulnerable time in your week. It's that, that window that temptation likes to show up in. See, this tiny little implicit message in the text We're just looking at a conjunction, but it's so useful. We're barely a couple footsteps into the narrative, and already we're getting this golden message. Know your vulnerable time. Know your vulnerable time. This stops surprise attacks. I think so often when we hear about somebody falling into temptation, say, well, man, the temptation just came out of nowhere. Well, if you would have known your vulnerable time, it wouldn't have been a surprise attack. So when is that time for you? When are you vulnerable? When are you weak? When do you tend to get tempted the most? Is it when you're bored? Is it when you're stressed? Is it when you're coming down from stress? Is it when you're alone? You may have never thought about your vulnerable time, but I'll tell you what the enemy has. The enemy knows your vulnerable time, so you should know it. Know when you're weak because it gets rid of the element of surprise. Isn't scripture incredible? Like this is such good stuff. Isn't it like we're one word in, one conjunction between chapter three and chapter four. It's already like, wow, like we need to do this. We'll continue on. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from, from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Wilderness, wilderness. Because of other gospel accounts, we know the vicinity where this wilderness is in Israel. Uh, Luke also uses the word wilderness. And in the Greek, this word is the, the word geshumond. Do you know what geshumond means? It means the devastation. How's that for a destination? Hey, where are you traveling to? Oh, we're going to Cancun. I'm going to the devastation. Oh, so you're going to Illinois. <laughs> no, it's worse. It's worse than Illinois. The wilderness or Geshumon or the devastation is this triangular pocket between Jerusalem, the Jordan River, and Jericho, or the Dead Sea and Jericho as well. It's that triangular pocket. In fact, I've, I've hiked this area. I'm hoping to go there in a few weeks and, and hike this area again. It's absolutely barren. It's jagged. It's, it's harsh land. It, it almost looks like hell on earth when, you, when you're there. And this is where the Holy Spirit leads Jesus into. See, often the Holy Spirit doesn't lead us to nice places. It doesn't lead us to fun places. Sometimes I get a kick out of, of when people say, you know, I just... Junior, I really feel like the Holy Spirit is leading me to, and then they just say something like super awesome that they want to do. Like, I feel led by the Holy Spirit to just like stop serving and just, you know, rest in him. Just need to rest. It's rarely like, I feel led by the Holy Spirit to start a small group for people who never get invited to other people's small groups. I never heard that. Or I I never hear, you know, I feel led by the Holy Spirit to stay in this difficulty or to, to bring the kingdom here. 
I feel led by the Holy Spirit to just really press harder than I'm, than I'm pressing right now. It's usually like when I hear I've, I feel led by the Holy Spirit too, it's always like this big change of scenery to, to something better that they want to do. And that, that's whatever. But when I look at the Holy Spirit leading in scripture, it's a lot of this right here. The Holy Spirit leads into difficulty. The Holy Spirit leads into battle. The Holy Spirit leads into challenge, into the geshumand, the devastation. Continues on. He says, and after 40 days, so he's in Geshuman, the devastation. He's in there 40 days and 40 nights. He was hungry. It's like, well, kind of wonder why he had to tell us that. <laughs> 40 days. He, well, yeah, he'd be hungry. The glucose in his body is long gone. Weeks ago, he went through ketosis. Felt sick. He's laying out there in the jagged rocks. His muscles are sore. Periodic spells of dizziness. His body struggles to regulate its own temperature in, in the hot sun with no food, with little shade. And after 40 days, his cravings are peaking. He's weaker than he's ever been. He longs for this to end, and it easily could with food. He can barely walk at this point. And now the fight begins, verse three. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Now this is, you know, when, when we read this, this is when we go, okay, well, this is a nice story, but I'm not tempted to turn stones into bread. I don't even know what, like, what's wrong with that. So this is irrelevant to me. Like if, if Jesus were out there and he was like tempted to cuss or he was tempted to like lose his temper, or he was tempted to like look at porn, or he was tempted to like drink too much, or, or overspend. Well, then this story, you know, would be more relevant to me, useful to me, but like stones to bread, come on. But there's something deeper going on here. Jesus is about to be tempted in three different areas, three very specific areas, and for a reason. And the reason is, every temptation we face, every temptation you face and will face, falls into those three categories. Every time you're tempted to say that or look at that or buy that or eat that or touch that or lose your temper, every single temptation you face falls into one of these three categories. And Jesus is going to take on these three categories to expose the alien's weakness, to take off the mask. It's kind of like, uh, you remember Scooby-Doo? Remember the show? It's my favorite show growing up. I was a big fan of that. I love uh, Shaggy. He wasn't pretentious like, like Fred. You know, Fred was like a little preppy neck scarf and muscles. Shaggy was just, he's a good friend to Scooby. But anyways, you remember uh, <laughs> the end of Scooby-Doo when they would uh, like take the monster and they would unmask that person. It's like, oh, that's the person. This is what Jesus is about to do. He's going to take three temptations, unmask them so that we know what we're dealing with. And you're probably sitting there thinking, did Junior just compare Jesus to the Scooby-Doo gang? Yes. But don't blame me. You decided to come to the bridge, so that's on you. So in verse 3, Jesus is tempted to turn stones to bread. And it seems like an odd temptation, right? Here's what's playing out, though. The first category of temptation that we face, the first category that Jesus is going to take on and unmask, is this category right here. The temptation to meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. So Jesus has a legitimate need. He's literally starving, near the brink of death, a legitimate need. In a similar way, you walked in here, you signed on with a legitimate need. Maybe it's a financial need. You're just starving financially. 
Maybe you have a social need. You're just hungry socially. You're, you're lonely. Maybe you have an intimacy need, an intimacy hunger. And as you go throughout your weeks, as you go throughout your months, as you go throughout your years, that need, like Jesus's, begins to take this toll on you. The bills are piling up, and it's all-consuming. You're alone again another evening, and it's hurting. Your spouse isn't available as, as maybe you wish they were, and it's, it's frustrating. And day after day after day, that need and that hunger grows, and it grows, and it grows. And the hunger to meet the right person becomes strong. And so you start thinking, maybe I should just take matters into my own hands. I'll just find someone. That, that hunger to, for the bills that are piling up, I'll, just, I, I'll take it into my own hands. I'll fudge these numbers. I, just, I won't give because the bills are too high. I'm lonely. I'm just going to take that next warm body that shows interest. I know I shouldn't be with them, but, but, but it's just better than living alone, Right? I'll just go to this website for a release instead of aiming that drive to go grow closer to my spouse. See, we don't take stones and make them into bread, but we take the wrong person and make them into our date. We take a website and make it into our release. We take a substance and make it into our comfort. We satisfy our real hunger with the wrong thing. This is what Jesus is up against. See, for a lot of us, category number one is our most popular temptation. And it's very easy to excuse when we fall to this temptation. It's, hey, I'm hurting here. Like, you don't know what, I, what I'm going through. I'm, I'm hungry. And, and it's, it's unfair. So can you really blame me for filling my need this way? Satan begins tempting Jesus with this. Now, when I was a kid I, and I heard this story, it always confused me because I would, I would think like, well, is it, would it really be wrong for, for Jesus to turn these stones and make them into bread? Like, is that really a sin? I mean, Jesus turned water to wine. And we're going to talk about that in the, in, next week. Like, so would it really be a sin for Jesus to take a stone and make it into bread? And the answer is a little bit deeper. Here's why Jesus doesn't do this. Jesus understands something that you and I often miss when we're being tempted. Jesus knew it's not about the need. There's Jesus. I mean, again, he's on the brink of death. He's going, it's not about my hunger. In the same way, it's not about your financial struggle. And I hate to say this because I know it hurts, but it's not about your loneliness. And it's not about a release. It's not about an escape. It's not about your need what this really boils down to, and again, I know this hurts, but I'm just, it's coming from God's word. Jesus is teaching it. It's not about your need. It's about trust. Can you really trust God with this need? Can I, can you walk through the pain, live with that hunger, and trust that God somehow, someway, is gonna fill that need the way he wants to? Not the way I want, maybe, and not the way I dream about, probably, but the way he wants. Are you okay with that? This isn't about meeting a need for money or recognition or companionship or sex. It's about trusting the giver. That's where Jesus is taking it to, and he's giving us this response for fighting a category number one temptation. The way to respond to a category number one temptation is you reframe the situation. Reframe the situation. Jesus going, eh, this isn't about my hunger and those rocks becoming bread. This is about something different. See, when you are tempted, it seems as though your need 
is the only thing that matters. This is what temptation tries to get you to believe. Filling that need is all that matters. If I can just get that money, I'll be good. I can just get rid of those bills and I'll be fine. If I could just meet that person, I'll feel complete. If I can just overspend and purchase that thing, then I'll be happy and I'll be good. Temptation baits you into believing that it's all about satisfying that need. And once that hunger is satisfied, you'll be fine. And what happens is we get tunnel vision then. Psychologists call this focalism. It's, it's, it's all you can focus on. Everything is blurred except for that desire. Now, it's no excuse. It's just this is what, how a category number one temptations work. This is why guys, some guys have left their families for a girl. His kids, his marriage, his home, it was all a blur. All he could see was her, and he decided to trade everything for her release. And afterwards, I mean, he knows his family is far more, is worth far more than a release, but that thought doesn't pop into his head until that hunger is temporarily satisfied. And then reality hits later. Oh, wait a minute, what did I just do? Why didn't I think about all of this beforehand? And that's what Jesus is saying. Well, before you do that, you've got to reframe and think about that. Reframing the, the situation looks like taking a step back and seeing the full picture. Ah, 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 there's more at play here than just that purchase. There's more at stake here than just that fix. There's more at stake here than just a release. The enemy is distorting reality. I've got to take a step back and refocus and reframe the situation. If we can train our minds to do what Jesus is doing here, temptation loses leverage. My goodness, we're only three verses in. We've got to keep going. Verse 5. It says, and the devil took him to the holy city, so it's Jerusalem, and he set him on the pinnacle of the temple. Look at verse 6. I'll throw it up here. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. And this is so slick. The tempter is about to quote scripture to trick Jesus, because Jesus quoted scripture the last time to, to resist Satan. And so Satan says, oh, okay, if you're going to quote scripture at me, I know scripture too. Let's play. I can twist scripture. And by the way, he still does this today. Like books are filled with misused scripture. Movements are built on misused scripture. Satan knows how to twist scripture. This is why as followers of Jesus Christ, we have to have depth and roots. That's why we're doing the dusty doctrines. We got to know scripture if we're going to survive. But, Jesus, but Satan does it here. He twists scripture. He says, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. So you imagine, there they are, right? The pinnacle of the temple where Jesus was lost. We talked about that last week. And Jesus is standing on the pinnacle of the temple. He's looking down. There's worshipers coming into the gates to, to go worship. There's priests over here. There's scribes over there. Jesus loves this place. And Satan goes, come on, Jesus. You know you're not going to impress any of those people down there, right? You're an itinerant preacher. You came as God, but to them, you're just a preacher and nobody's going to believe you. You really think the high priest over there is going to believe you're the son of God? So why don't you do something? Do something big. Jump. Show, Show them who you are. God's not going to let anything happen to you. You're Jesus. Plus, look at the verse. I'll send my angels if I have to. So jump off the building. And then everyone will scream, there's a guy falling. And then you'll hit the ground, you'll dust yourself off, you'll say, sup, I'm Jesus, son of God. And they'll pay attention to you. 
and they'll believe you. God's not going to let anything happen to you. So prove it. Again, first read, we look at this, we go, okay, this is interesting. Not relevant to me because I'm probably never going to be tempted to jump off the temple. No, but we do this all the time. It's category number two temptation. It's the, tempta- the temptation to manipulate instead of cooperate with God. I want God instead of cooperating with him. I'm going to make it look like I'm cooperating with him, but I'm going to manipulate him. Uh, this is the couple that is irresponsible with their money, making dumb purchases, disregarding what scripture says about handling money. Then they find themselves in debt. And so they start praying and trusting God's going to bail me out, right? God, you said in your word. It's the Christian who so badly wants to be married. And so they force it. They marry somebody they shouldn't. And they think, well, I'll just, you know, I'll just pray for them because God answers prayer, right? God will change them. And then when it doesn't happen, it's God, don't you answer prayer. It's manipulating God. It's I'll eat whatever and I'll drink whatever and I'll never work out. And if the consequences come, if health issues arise, I'm just going to expect God to intervene. Heal me. It says in your word. I'm going to blow up on my family. And when I face the consequences for it, like they start becoming distant from me, I'm just going to play the victim. Oh, God, intervene. It says in your word. It's God, I don't want to do things your way, but I also don't want to face the consequences of doing things my way. So I'm going to try to manipulate here. Manipulating God is so common. And Jesus knows God's not going to be manipulated. Look at verse 7. And Jesus said to him, again, it is written. You want to come back? You want to come at me with, with twisted scripture? I, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. You can't manipulate God. And notice the word Jesus uses again, again. He's again using scripture to resist temptation. And this gives us our second response. Quote God's word. Quote God's word. God's word is the most powerful weapon against temptation. It's why Jesus quotes scripture every time he's tempted. How many times have we fallen to temptation and we've come out of that fall going, I'm, just, I'm gonna do better next time? You ever say that to yourself? Oh, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm gonna do it better next time. I'm gonna resist that second dessert next time. I'm gonna shut my mouth next time. I'm not going to walk into that place next time. I'm not going to visit that website next time. I'm going to control my anger next time. Okay, great. But how? Like, isn't insanity doing the same thing over and over and over and just expecting different results? So what are you going to do different next time? This. In the fourth century, there was a monk, an Egyptian monk named, let me see if I can get this right. Evagrius Ponticus. He read the story about Jesus going into the desert and being tempted. And so he decided he's, he's getting beat up with temptation. So he decided, I'm going to get away from everything and everybody. And he went out into the desert to be tempted. And so this was like a kind of a headline in, in, the, in the area. And there's like a local monk out in the desert being tempted. So one of his fellow monks came to him after several days and uh, just to check in on him. He said, well, what are you learning of Evagrius? And Evagrius said, um, I've, I've learned the only way to fight temptation is to do exactly what Jesus did the whole time. Just quote scripture. So he wrote a book while he was out in the wilderness. And it was, uh, it was I'm going to get the title right. Talking Back, a monastic handbook for combating demons, which is like such a cool title for a book. 
A lot of, back then, a lot of times when, when you were tempted, it was like, oh, this demon is coming, you know, coming after me, trying to get me to sin. And so it could be said a, a combating temptation. But his whole, his whole book was filled with just scriptures, scriptures about the temptations that he was facing. And then he would just memorize those, and that's how he would combat temptation. That's what Jesus is doing. That's what we need to do. Part of our daily devotions in the morning needs to be finding scriptures that deal with the most common temptations that we face and then memorizing those verses. So for us, it's like overeating. Let's say overeating is a struggle or eating unhealthy or eating, eating too much. Well, then memorize scripture that talks about it. It's not good to eat too much honey. My body's a temple. We just quote that scripture. If drinking is a struggle, memorize scripture about it. Do not be filled with wine, but with the Holy Spirit. Do not be filled with wine, but with the Holy Spirit. If it's lust... Memorize, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully upon a woman. If you have a temper, memorize scripture about a temper. Try, try quoting that next time you want to like go off and raise your voice. No, I'm just going to quote scripture here. Jesus is giving us a powerful, powerful, powerful tool against temptation. Stop saying, well, I'm just going to do better next time. Like, no, do it. Take it seriously. Make war. Grab the word of God and fill your mind. Then pull what Jesus pulled. I'm just going to quote it every single time. Simple? Yeah. But do we do it? Mm, not many, if any of us. But it is the game changer. Far too many of us, we're just not armed. Temptation arises in our weak moments, and it's like a surprise attack to us, because we don't know our weak moments, but the enemy does. Surprise attack, and then we have no ammo to fire back with. Like, of course we're getting beat. This is the ammo. Load up. Verse 8 says, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All of these I will give you. All these kingdoms I will give you. If you fall down and worship me. Now again, this doesn't seem like a very tempting temptation, doesn't it? Like worship Satan? Uh, of course not. Plus, Satan doesn't have any authority to give to God, does he? Like, this verse doesn't seem like, it, just, it seems like such a lame temptation. But there's so much here. But to get, to get what's going on here, we gotta, gotta go off on like a little bit of a theological sidebar for just a second. So I hope you come with. I want you to stay with me because if we dig deep enough here, it really opens up this story so much more. When God created the world in Genesis, God made man and God gave authority to man. Pinnacle of creation, I am giving you dominion over creation, authority, which is awesome. Problem is, is when man walked away from God, when we walked away from God, we gave that authority to the person who conquered us, Satan. That's why Jesus said in John, Satan is the ruler of this world. Now man was, but we messed that up. We gave that authority to Satan. Now God still has power over Satan, but Satan took dominion over this world. That's why when Satan offers it back to Jesus here, Jesus doesn't go, ah, 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 nice try, you little stinker. It's not yours to give. Because in a sense, it was Satan's to give. And so God becomes man, and Jesus comes to reclaim all authority. This is why in the Great Commission, after Jesus dies and is resurrected, Jesus says something that's often just kind of skipped over in Scripture. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So Jesus' death and resurrection took that power back from Satan. So here Jesus stands, barely. 
And Satan points out the kingdoms. He says, I know what you came for. The authority over all this. What you came for, I'll give it to you right now. You can skip living years as a poor man. You can skip being tortured. You can skip the cross. I know you're dreading the cross. You can skip all of that. No hardships, no cross, no pain. I'll give it to you right now. Just set aside who you are temporarily, not forever, and bow down in this one measly moment. And so much hinges on this. Will Jesus set aside who he is for a moment for what he ultimately wants? And this is a temptation that you have faced, are facing, and will face. You get locked in on a goal, a dream, I want that, a desire. Maybe it's a business, or maybe it's a title, or maybe it's a career, maybe it's a ring, maybe it's a standard of living. You got this goal, and it's a fine goal. Go for that goal. But along the way, as you're working toward it, you're going to have these opportunities to compromise who you are temporarily to get it quicker. It could be a shady business deal. It could be dishonesty. It could be being disloyal to someone. It could be sacrificing family time. It could be cheating. And if you could just do it this once, just this once, just temporarily, it's not like I'm denouncing God for good, but if I can just set aside my values temporarily, I can get ahead here. And you might really feel this hard because here you are. You would have thought you would have been further ahead in life than you are now. You're 30-something, and you would have thought you would have been married by 20-something. Or you're 40-something, figuring that you would have been making far more than you're making right now. Or you're 50-something, and retirement just seems like it's never going to happen, or that corner office is just never going to be yours, and you've been working your whole life for it. And time is ticking, and the shortcuts to get you there are starting to look like my only option to actually getting what I'm going after. And this is exactly what Jesus is staring at. It's category number three, temptation, the temptation to take a shortcut. Come on, Jesus, you can skip the cross. You can skip living as a poor man. Just set aside who you are temporarily in this one moment. And we face it all the time. To get what I want, maybe I need to surrender who I am. You ever think that? Because I have. To get this, I might have to surrender who I am for just a second. Set aside my values to make that sale, to date that person, to have that image. And the moment you give in to that temptation is the moment you surrender who you are. What makes it worse, though, is when we get to where we want to go, you know, we take that shortcut. Okay, I'm just going to set aside my values for just a second to get this. You close the deal. You get the girl. You get the money. You get the ring. You get the bigger platform. You get that account. You get all those likes on social media. But deep down, you're looking at it feeling like, I just don't feel right. Like, I asked God for forgiveness and all that, but... I'm not loving this as much as I thought I would have. Spiritually, I don't feel right. I don't feel as great as I did about myself as I did before. Yeah, because you set aside who you were to get it. Verse 10, Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. So Jesus' response, he quotes scripture again, and he says, Just get lost. And he redirects himself. That's the response. Redirect yourself. Third response to temptation. Redirect yourself. Redirect yourself. 
I thought of this on the way here. I was uh, driving. My, my nieces had their birthday party up in Madison, so I, I drove here uh, this afternoon on the way back, and I stopped to grab, like, I was just a little tired. So I was like, I'll just get some candy. I don't want to eat the whole thing, though. You ever get that? Like, I don't want to eat this whole thing. I just want part of it. I'm driving, and I'm like, I'm going to eat this whole thing. So I actually had to throw it into the way back because if it's there, I'm going to eat it. I had to redirect myself, actually redirect the candy bar and just throw it way into the back where it was out of reach. This is essentially what Jesus is saying. I just put it out of reach. Just put it out of reach. Redirect yourself. Scripture tells Christians to run from one thing. Just one thing. Temptation. Redirect, run. You married? Got that flirtatious thing going on with a coworker? Seriously, end it. Like, say something and end it. And if you can't do that, just too awkward for you, then transfer and get a new job. Oh, Junior, that's so extreme. Maybe, but much less extreme than what could happen. So why don't you redirect yourself now? Or you're about to lose your cool, say things you shouldn't, walk away, cool down, quote scripture, redirect yourself. Feeling that urge to indulge yourself when you know you shouldn't? Like I tell guys who, uh, who struggle with looking at porn, like memorize that scripture, quote that scripture, and then go for a run. Like run off that extra energy. Build something. Do something productive. Redirect yourself. I know guys who take the long way home from work so that they don't drive by that strip club. Just because they just want to put it out of reach. I'm not going that way anymore. I know women who feel like when the conversation is getting to be more like negative or critical, they just redirect the conversation. They just, I'm going to say something positive in that moment, especially about that person that we were just about to talk smack about. Redirect the conversation. Redirect yourself. The longer you linger, the stronger the craving gets. So redirect yourself quickly. Pretty incredible what's packed into this little story, isn't it? Like some of us have heard this story before, but there's, and so many just read right through it, but there, there's so, so much gold packed into here. We are not fighting an unknown alien. Jesus unmasks the beast and shows us how to defeat it. Almost 12 years ago, I stood at, I stood in an old stone church with gaudy red carpeting. And my friends were there and my family were all sitting in the hardwood pews. Uh, family that I hadn't seen in a while, friends that I hadn't seen in a while were all there. But I didn't really care they were there. In fact, I don't even remember who was there and who wasn't there. Because my eyes were locked on the girl walking down the aisle. She's about to be my wife. And all I cared about was her. The look on her face, I still remember it. I still remember her hair. I remember it all. All about her. Nobody else was in the room in that moment. Nothing else compared. Nobody else compared. Or I remember holding my daughters for the first time, all three. I got to be the first one to hold all three of our girls. And I remember all three of those moments. I don't remember the doctors. I don't remember the machines. I just remember staring at my daughters. I vaguely remember an old nurse yelling at me for something, but I don't remember what the old biddy was saying because I was holding my daughter and she was better and nothing else compared. This is what scripture means when it says, fix your eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith. Set your mind on things above. It's this idea of focusing your attention and your desire on God so much that you just don't care about anything lesser. And so the enemy can come and dangle all these things in front of your face, but you just don't care. You hardly even notice because your heart and your mind are set 
on God. And you think, who cares? But who's got what and what they're doing? Or that release that I need or that hunger that I'm feeling, it doesn't matter. All I care about is the giver. See, there is one reason why you should resist the temptations that you face. I know we got our list and this list helps. Thank you, Jesus, for this list. But there is one main reason to resist temptation. Just one main reason. And that is God is better. He is. He's so, so much better. It's not even a comparison. God is better. Do you really believe that? Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, would you give it a share? It goes a long way. Also, don't forget to subscribe if you haven't yet. Hey, God has something for you today. Go after it. Blessings. Blessings.